welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Well, welcome to this week's message from Empower Church. My name's Isaac. I'm uh, one of the young adult, adult leaders, and I get the privilege to join you wherever you are today um, and bring the word this Sunday. Um, we, we truly miss you all, and we wish we could be face-to-face and be with you in person. Uh, but until that day comes, you know, at least we get to publicly stream the Word of God and come around Christ together. And, you know, Christ is the uniting thing amongst us all, that we are the body that come under Him as the head. And so even though we're not there in person today, at least we can be in spirit and come around the Word together. So I just want to encourage you all, just remember that as you're viewing this, you're viewing it as a family, as a body. And so just we're praying for you and we really want you to grasp what Jesus is saying today. And you know, a few weeks back, my wife, Beck, actually, she preached a message. And when we found out we were going to be preaching, we didn't collaborate about what we were going to talk on. Uh, but she brought a really beautiful message on the purified bride. And without even knowing what she was talking about, I was going to talk about almost a part two to what she said. And so what I want to bring today is just knowing the bridegroom. She talked about the purified bride, and now I want to focus on knowing the bridegroom. Because just as God has been journeying with me over the last 12 to 18 months, he's really just been highlighting what's important in this day and age. You know, as the world gets more and more chaotic, more fearful, more anxious, is there anything more important than knowing Jesus and knowing him intimately? When governments start to turn on us, when friends and family start to turn on us for our faith, and they will, is there anything more important than completely abiding in Jesus and just knowing him intimately, leaning completely on him? You see, there's levels to knowing Jesus. If you look at the example of the the tabernacle, the design of the tabernacle or the temple later on, there was the outer courts. And the, the anointing and the presence of God didn't reach out to the outer courts. And then there was the inner courts a, a step closer, but still you weren't in the thickness of God's glory. But then to access into the Holy of Holies, that's where God resided. His presence was there and that's where he could be found. And he's, he's calling us into those deeper levels of knowing him, into that Holy of Holy place. Jesus died and tore down the veil so that we could step into access, into his presence, into his very presence. We're not called to stand on the outside, on the outer courts. So many Christians are just content with standing there or being satisfied with their level of knowing Jesus there. But there's so much more that he's calling us to. And we should be striving to know him deeper, to really enter in, into his glory. And I hope that by the end of this message, you can ask yourself, do, do I intimately know Jesus or do I just have belief in him? Do I know of him? Because there's a big difference between just believing in him and knowing of him and truly intimately knowing him. 
You see, the Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus, but they don't, they don't know his will and his purposes. They don't have the fruit that comes with knowing him. And it can be the same even with Christians. We can have a belief in him. We can know him by name even, but there's a deeper place that he's calling us to that comes with intimately knowing him. You see, when we stand before the throne of Jesus one day, I truly believe the question won't just be, did you believe? But he's going to ask, did you know me? In Matthew 7, 22, it says so clearly that many will stand before Jesus and they'll say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform great acts in your name? And yet he will say to to them, I never knew you depart from me. And what this passage tells me, and it should provoke a holy fear in us that you can operate in the very name of Jesus and still not actually know him. Let that sink in. You could be the most gifted preacher up on stage and and God will use you and God will pour out his anointing and use you for his will and purposes. And yet still they don't know him and they might go home and sin. You could be sitting in church every weekend. Maybe it's out of obligation. Maybe it's because your spouse is dragging you along. Or maybe it's, it ticks your box. But all of this you can do. You can do the religion and still not know Jesus intimately. Jesus says that only he who does the will of my Father in heaven will himself enter into heaven. But how can we know his will without knowing him first? to know what he wants and to know how to operate in obedience. We have to know the person of Jesus, first of all. And I say this not to discourage or shame anyone if you feel like that's you, but to spur you on to know him deeper, to hear the call that Jesus is giving. He's inviting us into that holy place, that deeper level. You see, the difference between just believing and maybe knowing of Jesus The difference between knowing of him and knowing him is intimacy. And intimacy is defined as close familiarity, not just familiarity by itself. A husband and a wife can be familiar with each other, but over the years, there still be a world of distance that comes between them. And we know that in a marriage, we can see it sometimes that if intimacy isn't nurtured and protected, then familiarity can creep in And suddenly that flame of love can die down day by day until it's not even there anymore. But close familiarity is what intimacy is. Close familiarity means close in proximity to each other, close in heart, close in in mind and spirit, close in thought and deed. This is what creates intimacy and allows a husband to say that he knows his wife. And in the same way, when you are close with Jesus, our bridegroom, It's a close familiarity to know what are his thoughts. What are his likes, his dislikes? Do you know what brings him joy and laughter? Do you know the things that he's saying and speaking over you, the affections of his heart? You can't know that with just believing necessarily or just knowing of him. You have to enter into a depth of knowing him in intimacy, being with him, spending time with him to understand these things. And it takes sacrifice to go deeper into his glory. That's the price of intimacy. But how many of us are just content with believing? The warning is that when we stand before him, will he say to you, 
You believed in me, yes, but did you know me? Did you truly know my will? Or were you just being caught up in religion? Jesus is more than ticking a box. He's so much more precious than attending a Sunday service. He's more than a gift of prophecy or healing or casting out demons even. He is our bridegroom, our husband that we are betrothed to forever. And because of that marriage covenant that we have with him, if there is anything else that takes first place in our hearts, then it is adultery. If your love for yourself, your flesh, if your love for a career, if your love even for good things like your family, your husband or wife, if it comes before Jesus, then we are cheating on the one that we are betrothed to first. If you have to ask the question of yourself, who has your heart? A good way to look at it is where, where are you putting your time? What do you invest your time into? Because one of the single most exposing things that reflects where our hearts are is who or what you are investing your time into. You cannot fully know Jesus with a partially surrendered heart. You can't think that if I, if I give my time on a Sunday, that that's enough to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus. When the rest of the week, you, you know, you might be caught up in the distractions of the world. But that's the sacrifice. Where are you investing your time into? Will you give only a part of your heart to him or all of it? And I know it's a little bit heavy to get straight into, but these are the questions that the more we ask, the more it should drive us into Jesus's open and welcoming arms that are full of grace and love for you. But if your answer is maybe yes, Isaac, actually, that sounds like me. I know he doesn't fully have my heart. Then I want to help you today by showing you in the word what God's response to that is and what his invitation is. And so I want to take you to the book of Hosea. It's a book that doesn't really get a lot of talk, but it's an amazing picture that God paints. Quite an eye-opening picture, in fact, of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. In fact, God uses the imagery of a husband and wife, like we talked about, where the woman has left her husband for other lovers. She's cheated on, she's acted like a prostitute. But why does he use marriage as the image? It's because the covenant of marriage is so precious and valuable to him. He created it to be the union between a husband and wife that is one of the highest examples of intimacy and knowing one another that we have here on this earth. And he's chosen his son, Jesus, to marry into a covenant with us in order to display his love and faithfulness. Just look at the book of Song of Songs. It's the most beautiful love letter written from Jesus to us, the church, his bride, about how we have ravished and stolen his heart, how we make his heart race, how we are the apple of his eye. That's the language that's used in that book. But then coming to Hosea, Hosea was a prophet used by God to paint a different image, an image of adultery between Israel and himself. He told Hosea, go take a woman of harlotry, essentially a prostitute, and marry her. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord 
and worshipping other gods. So he said to Hosea, I want you to enter into a covenant of marriage with her. Despite what she's done, despite her reputation, I want you to marry her and love her and she will receive under this covenant everything that she's entitled to as your bride. That means protection, provision, a legacy and an inheritance, children that you will bear with her, love, kindness and care. You will love her as your bride, no matter her past and no matter what, how filthy she might be. And all these things Hosea gives to her. But as the book goes on, we see that she chooses to return to other lovers. Her past life starts to take hold of her again and she returns. She leaves the love of Hosea who, who looked beyond her past and she forsook the covenant that she entered into with him. And this is the image that God has used to show how Israel, his people, has been to him. How we, God's people, have been to his son, Jesus. You see, Jesus entered into the exact same covenant with us. He took, he took us in as his bride, despite our sinful nature, nature despite our filth, despite our past, our, you know, our relationship with the world. He said, I'm going to love you as my bride and love you back to wholeness. You're going to find good things in relationship with me, in covenant with me. I'm going to pour out protection, provision for you. I'm going to give you the new wine, the new grain, the new oil, all these things. It's going to be there for you. Jesus chose to die for his bride to make a way that we could come into covenant with him. And yet how easy is it for us to return to the world, to former lovers? How quickly do we forget what good things we have received under this covenant? How easily do we forsake what lengths God went to, to, to reach past our filth and we return straight back to it? And this is the same adultery we see in Hosea. It's, the, it's what the Israelites did. It's the same thing we have done to our bridegroom, Jesus. And we cannot truly know Jesus, the bridegroom, intimately while we live in this spiritual adultery. But you see, God's response in the very next chapter is the biggest encouragement we can take. In chapter 2 of Hosea, after a little bit of time of punishment to Israel, God punished them because he uses punishment only in love to bring us back onto the straight path. When we've turned onto the wide path where there's all, our, all these options, he uses punishment to bring us back into that straight path. And after this time, he said to Israel in verse 14 of chapter 2, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. What does this mean? The wilderness is a place of solitude and retirement that they may freely converse with him outside of the noise of this world. God's saying, I'm going to bring you into the wilderness where it's just you and me, my bride. I'm going to speak kindly to her. I'm going to allure her there with my affections and my love. Despite everything that's happened, we're going to get away together where we can just talk, where I can lovingly humble you and reprove you that was his response. And this is the best thing. Down in verse 16, he says this, and I want you to catch it. And this verse will come up so that you can see what these words are. 
It says in verse 16, and it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and you will no longer call me Baali. I want to say that again so that you get it. It will come about in that day that you will call me Ishi and will no longer call me Baali. You see, these two words are actually a play on words that God uses because they have the same meaning, but in a different context. They both mean husband. But when God says, when he uses the word Ishi, he's referring to a husband as a lover a compilation of love and sweetness and close familiarity. When he refers to them as Bali, when he says, and you will no longer call me Baali, that word means husband, but as a master, an authoritative master, someone to revere and be subjected to. And God's saying, you will call me lover once more. You will know me as a husband and lover You will no longer call me master. I won't be the authoritative God to you that you think I am. This was Israel's biggest mistake was that they didn't know God intimately enough to see him and call him as lover. They only saw him as someone to be subjected to. And of course, that means they were going to return to the ways of the world. Who can serve a master like that and not be tempted to indulge in other things? But God's saying, you will call me lover. And this is the same thing for us as we see Jesus. Do you see Jesus as your master, as someone to be a servant to? Someone who's authoritative over you? Or do you know him as lover, as intimate husband? It goes on to say in verse 19, God says this, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Remember, this is all about knowing the bridegroom. And God, God had every right to hand a bill of divorce to the Israelites because they entered into this covenant willingly with him. They said, yes, we want you to be our God. We want to be in this marriage covenant with you. The only legitimate reason for divorce was unfaithfulness. And God had every right to cancel that covenant and say, no, you've been unfaithful to me. I'm going to reject you now. I'm going to send you away. But instead, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. In loving kindness, in compassion, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. It's his faithfulness that actually extends that covenant into eternity. And then you will know the Lord. You will know him as lover, as husband, as intimate bridegroom. When we could have been cancelled out, when he could have turned us away forever, we've all all sinned and fallen short. We've all been unfaithful and prostituted ourselves to the world. But he looks past that and says, because of my faithfulness, I'm going to remember this covenant And it's going to remain forever until you are with me in eternity. That should be such a beautiful encouragement to us. And I hope from these passages that you can see how valuable you are to Christ. What lengths he will go to as our betrothed bridegroom. All of this so that we can know him intimately as our lover.
And with this in mind, I want, you, I want to take you to one last passage in the New Testament. This passage is, again, both an example of what we can have, but a warning for if we choose to hold Jesus at a distance. It's in Matthew 25, and it, it's a parable that we, we've all probably heard, spoken about. It's the parable of the ten virgins. And if you, haven't, if you don't know the story, I'll, I'll give you the context. Essentially, a, a bridegroom was um, coming back for the banquet, the wedding feast, and 10 virgins were waiting on the bridegroom. And back in those Jewish customs, the bridegroom would delay. He would take a long time and often come in at an hour unknown. And so the guests had to be ready to be received into that wedding feast. And Jesus is the bridegroom in this parable. And it says this from in chapter 25, verse five. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent virgins, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered saying, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. You see, out of the 10 virgins, they all started with oil burning in their lamps. What does the oil actually represent? The oil is what keeps the flame alive. The oil is, you know, it, it's the one ingredient that can keep that fire burning. And they all started out with oil, but only five of them finished with oil still burning. The other five, their lamps had died out. The flame had burnt out. And this is a picture of us, the oil is Jesus, or rather the oil is Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus. Jesus is the olive that has been crushed and pressed so that we can receive that oil. And we all, as we come to Jesus, receive this oil. It says in Song of Songs, his name is oil poured out. He is the olive that pours out oil into us to keep that flame of love alive in our hearts. But there's a few things about oil. You cannot generate oil. You cannot make it yourself. It has to be acquired in the secret place from Jesus himself. You can't just go out and expect it to be there. You have to invest time into Jesus. You have to sacrifice something. You have to be with him in the secret place and go to the source itself to receive that oil. Another thing about oil is it can't be transferred to someone else. I can't give you the oil that I've found in the secret place. I can't pass that on to you. You need to get it for yourself and come close to Jesus so that oil can keep that flame burning. But how many of us have that flame starting to burn out because we don't have the oil from not being with Jesus intimately, from not knowing him in the secret place. Is that flame burnt out in your heart? 
Is it burning bright? And if it is, that's amazing. Keep going. But if your time with Jesus is one Sunday of the week, for some of you that is enough to top you up, but then by come Monday, maybe you're still going okay. And then Tuesday, you're back distracted by the world, stressed in anxiety and fear, whatever it may be. It's because we need to come daily into the secret place with Jesus to find him, to know him, to be with him. Remember, you can't give a partially surrendered heart to Jesus. It has to be all of it. And when we, when we keep those lamps burning, that means we're ready for when the bridegroom is coming back. And it means that we can enter into that wedding feast with him. But for those whose flame has burnt out, this was the warning. He said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. You started off knowing me. Maybe years ago you started, you knew what that flame burning was. You knew me closely, but somewhere along the way, the flame burnt out. And he says, I do not know you. I don't want to get to the throne of Jesus and have him say, you believed, but you didn't, you didn't truly know me or you once knew me, but what happened? And so I want to just take you through a few steps to intimacy because some of you might be in the place of going, Isaac, what you're saying is making sense and I want that back. I remember what that flame was like or I know that my heart is half in the world, half in the kingdom and I want to come back into that intimacy with Jesus. And so the first step to intimacy is to understand the covenant. You'll never draw close to him in intimacy if you don't first know that you have the most committed bridegroom chasing after you and pursuing you, his bride. Remember from Hosea, it's his faithfulness that sustains the covenant we have. And so there is always access and opportunity to come close to him. But you have to have an understanding of this covenant. You have to know it in your heart. So I encourage you, go read Hosea if you need. Understand what God has done for us and know that your sin will never come in between you and the Son. He has his arms open wide, ready to receive. Number two, second step to intimacy is to repent of any spiritual adultery. Our flesh will always be drawn back to the world and former lovers. But every time Jesus will re meet repentance with mercy, forgiveness and an invitation to draw closer into knowing him. But we need to let go of those things that are taking our time, taking our attention. You know, if, if your phone, if the TV is robbing you of that time, if things in the world, if your flesh is speaking louder than the spirit, then you need to repent of that renounce it and recommit yourself to that same covenant that Jesus has entered into with us. Commit yourself as the bride to him again. And then thirdly, invest time into the secret place. Time invested. It's one of the biggest things that matures and sustains an intimate relationship. I can't Say, if I don't give my wife time, I'm never going to know what 
her mood is, what she's feeling, what she's thinking, if she's happy or sad. I'm never going to know this if I don't invest the time into being with her. So we need to learn how to put value on the presence of Jesus. Shut yourself away with him and be with your lover, your bridegroom, your husband. Put away those things that take the time. Shut the door and just enter into a private space with him. You'll find that as you let things go, as you just be in his presence, he'll start speaking things that you haven't heard before. He'll open up your heart in ways that you haven't you know, known. And that flame will burn brighter as you receive that oil. The flame will burn bright. But until you meet with him there, you will never get the oil for the lamp. Some of us go, we want that flame burning again, but we aren't prepared to put in the sacrifice and we'll stay on the outer courts of the temple. And we'll say, well, I, it's too hard for me to get into the Holy of Holies, but it's not. Remember, Jesus tore the veil so that we could walk right in. All we need is just to be with him, to be covered in his oil, to be covered in his blood. So understand the covenant. Repent of any spiritual adultery and invest time into the secret place. I hope you can sense the calling of Jesus for your heart. I hope you can understand a little more the value of knowing the bridegroom, the one who betrothed himself to us forever. Let's stand before Jesus one day and be invited into eternity to be with him because we knew him first here on earth. Can we know him in eternity if we don't even know him here in this short time? That's the challenge that we face as Christians. But I want to encourage you that he is so ready to receive you. He wants to pour out more of himself and take us into those greater depths. He has something for you that you have not experienced yet. No matter how deeply you think you know him, there's still more of him that he wants to reveal. So in this week, you know, take, take the time. It doesn't have to be long initially. You can start off just 15 minutes at the start of your day of just being in his presence and watch as that grows, as your hunger for him. As you take a bite of him and feast on him, your hunger actually starts to grow. As we eat food here on, on earth, the more we eat, the fuller we get. But in the kingdom, it's upside down. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. So if you don't have that hunger, you need to first just start eating of him, eating his bread of life. Eat and drink at his table that he sets before us. And so I'll leave you with that. We're praying for you. And we hope you have a great week. We hope you um, feel just the love of God in this time. Please reach out to any of the team if you feel like you need any prayer or support. We love you and thanks for listening to this week's message.